Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Hello, today I get to introduce you to Jenny Abel. She is a freelance writer and editor and co-author of this great book, and it's the perfect month for you to get this book. I'm going to show you. It's nice. It has a map on it. My husband loves maps, and so does my middle daughter. And the book title is Recalibrate Your Life. And we're going to be talking all about recalibrating today, Navigating Transitions with Purpose and Hope. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much, Sue. (laughs) Would you first tell us a little bit about your family? Sure. Um, So I am 42. and um, I love it. You're telling your age. I I am not ashamed to say that I I had um, two miracle children late in my, um, I don't know, young adulthood, I guess I should call it. Um, so I have a two, almost two-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, my husband and I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. Oh. Grew up mostly in uh, Atlanta area. Okay. Um, but yep. So I'm a busy, busy mom. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for taking this time out. That is so great. I had my last child at almost 44. So I, I almost had, I got you beat, but I did, didn't get married till 35. And so okay. it's like, I was a miracle to have children at all. Um, so we have three girls and they keep me at the bank and on my knees. So, uh, you have (laughs) lots, lots to look forward to. And I'm 71. I'm happy to tell you my age as well. So, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, Jenny, you wrote this book with Kenneth Boa. Tell me about your relationship with him. He's the writer of many books. I, I don't even know how many, uh, but we're talking about you today, but if you just want to mention a little bit about him and your, um, uh, I don't know if you call it a relationship, it's a professional Cool. Yes. Um, well, he's written over 50 books or co-authored um, a bunch of other books as well. And he's kind of a uh, generalist. So he's run the gamut from apologetics to, you know, prayer. And you might know him from conform to his image. Um, but I, I actually encountered Ken um, just attending church with him starting when I was about 16, 17 um, in Atlanta. And wow. so I've kind of been sitting under his teaching on and off, um, although I haven't lived in Atlanta for a little while. Um but he, he is a great mixture of um, just, he's logical and I'm, I'm a math person, but at the same time, um, he also, you know, is in the area of sort of beauty and art and that kind of thing. So I guess we, we got to know each other um, mainly through attending church together. But then later I, um, I started an editing business um, a little bit into my career and uh, approached him about possibly editing for him. And so we learned some of our common interests and then he, he was willing to give me a shot at editing some of his uh, commentaries on books of the Bible. Wow. And that wow. was about a little over 10 years ago. And so now I've just been, um, well, I've had to actually recently um, recalibrate and step back a little bit from my work because of my, um, my mom life kind of getting a little too much, but um, sure. Absolutely. I did a lot of full-time and sort of contract work for him uh, for about four or five years. So. Now, you mentioned to me before we started uh, recording that you were a math major, but that someone called out some skill in you that you didn't know you had. 
tell us that short story. Yeah, it was, um, I think it was senior or junior year of college. Um, I, I took a journalism class just kind of out of interest and I was the only math major in the room. Everybody else was in English or whatever. And I had always loved words and reading, but I also was good at math. Um, but I also was finding that math wasn't, it just wasn't making me tick. I couldn't see myself doing anything in the math field uh, for my career. And so this this professor called out and said, you know what, math math majors can make the best editors, um, copy editing. Wow. And so I learned all the rules and I got good at copy editing. And then I kind of branched out from there and and really, really enjoy the world of words at the same time that I like the world of of rules and standards and style guidelines. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we need all, all those things all put together, don't we? Yeah. Yes, we do. <laughs> Creativity and rules. Yeah, God has both. Yep. Okay, the book is called Recalibrate Your Life. And I'm very intrigued by that whole term. So we're going to be talking about that today, especially since this is the beginning of the year in January. And people take time, hopefully, after they've woken up from an all-night party and they are thinking, wow, this is 2024. Will life treat me differently this year? Or will I approach life differently this year? And is there something God wants me to change or recalibrate. So if you could just begin by defining what does it mean to recalibrate our lives? Yeah, so this word, um, Ken is the one who kind of came up with the word and um, it is really, it, it can be as formal or informal. It can be um, sort of a loose meaning, but um, the way we define it in the book is consciously processing where we've been, where we are now and where we're headed. So kind of captures just that remembering and looking back and then assessing where you are right now, and then looking ahead, what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? Or maybe what do I want to proactively do to kind of um, do, you know, do something to make an impact on somebody? And so um, it's really, um, I think, especially at the beginning of a year, um, you know, we can be very intentional, I think, at the beginning of a year about setting goals or assessing where we've been and where we want to go. But a lot of that, you know, how many of us fizzle out within a month or even less? And I think um, this book is really about how do you actually do that on a regular basis? Hold yourself accountable um, and and try to not let yourself get, you know, um, kind of caught in the current of life um, that just starts to happen to us. Um, how can we assess where we are? And I think this is a biblical idea, which you'll probably ask me about in a moment, Um that we look back and that we, you know, look to God and ask him, you know, where are we? How do you want me to change um, and live more for you? And then obviously looking ahead to the future. So that's kind of, if someone is, if someone is not what they would um, term a goal person, like they don't like to make goals. I like to make goals occasionally and I write them down that I can't find my paper. So I'm not a math major, but um someone listening today, would they feel like this book is going to clobber them over the head with guilt or is it something for everyone? No, I think that, so there's actually, there's like 18 tools in it that, you know, you can get very um, concrete and and as methodical as you want to get with it. But there's also a lot in terms of just perspective and big picture thinking. And I think that's what the book is about is big picture thinking about your life and stepping back and always looking at that finish line of eternity rather than just getting caught up in sort of the weeds of everyday life. Um, I I think that we can, we can have recalibration, you know, forced on us, um, which I think happens to almost all of us at some point, like if a big event happens, major transition in our lives, or we lose a loved one, or we get a 
diagnosis medically that we didn't expect or something like that. And I think all of us to some degree recalibrate, um, but it's just how, you know, where are you actually looking to and what is your guideline, you know, while you're doing that. So I am a little bit less methodical and formal than I would say Ken is. And so we kind of balance each other out in that way when we are working on the book. Hmm. What does living with an eternal perspective have to do with life transitions? Because that's something you really talk about a lot, which I love. Yes. Well, um, Ken has been talking about um, eternal perspective. He actually has another um, book series that I helped him on um, that is all about eternal perspective. And so the heart of recalibration, I think, is... um, I think we often have this idea of kind of where I am now, and then we we might have this idea of where I want to end up at the end of life. But the question is, how do we get there? And I think a lot of the time we just have this like sort of theoretical view and we don't actually get down on the ground and say, well, what does that mean for how I live today? Um, so that's kind of what it's about, um, keeping the eternal horizon on in our minds, but also getting practical about what do I do today to kind of make that happen? Um So I think um, eternal perspective also, one of the things we touch on a lot in our book is just the pilgrim mindset that we're supposed to have as Christians. I think a lot of the times we kind of get satisfied with where we are and we kind of feel like this is our permanent home. And that's really not, you know, throughout scripture, you see believers, you know, we're called to a better hope and a better place. And we should not be setting up shop here like we're here forever. Um, So I think we, as people, we tend to forget that. I think we get comfortable, um, things that are right in front of us. We just tend to be kind of short-sighted as people that's throughout scripture. And I think we're constantly needing to call ourselves to remember, um, that final destiny, um, and our, our destination defines, or or, sorry, our destiny defines our destination as Ken is fond of saying. (laughs) Um, so kind of letting, letting what we're doing every day, just on the minutia level, um, be influenced by that eternal perspective of where we're headed. Can you give me an example? So I would say, um, and this may be a little too general, but um, I'm a very task-oriented person and I like to be productive. Um, If I have an interruption in my day, like somebody calls me or shows up at my doorstep and I didn't expect it, Um, I tend to be kind of like, oh, no, I'm in the middle of this. I I don't know. I'm not going to finish that unless, you know, and I think um, having an eternal perspective would mean you see that person and that interruption, you welcome it and you say, okay, maybe this is something God is bringing into my life today. And people are eternal. People have, you know, souls that last forever. And so that person means more than whether my task get done gets done. Now, obviously that can't always be the case every single time you're interrupted, but um, I think that that would be just one small example of kind of how you maybe want to maintain a per- eternal perspective about your day-to-day. So, Yeah, I think I heard that in college that um, our interruptions, our interruptions to our lives are God's opportunities. And I thought, wow. So you kind of want to pay attention to the interruptions because as a mom, we're interrupted constantly. And, um, and it's like, wait, what about my, a good, a good friend and mentor to me, Lorraine Maxudin said when her kids were little, she would write her to-do list and then she would just give it to God. (laughs) And at the end of the day, maybe look over and say, Hmm, I guess this is what God really wanted me to do. And I think that is part of an eternal perspective, just knowing that God is in control. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes the most important thing we do in a day is not on our calendar and Mm -hmm. 
Yes. As the mother of two toddlers, I'm lucky to get one thing on my list done every day now. Um, and I think I've, I've been called a little bit convicted that I have this set things that I, I want to get done in a day. And a lot of the times God is just reminding me now, especially after writing this book, the hearts of my children matter more than whether they get a certain thing done or whatever. And so am I shaping them correctly and according to his will, that's more important. So. Yeah. And what you have going on right now, Jenny, just let me exhort you is the best thing in the world, but it can be boring. Like it was boring to me at times. So then I would cry out to God and he would give me other creative opportunities in the midst of the parenting and the sticky Cheerios and the diapers and not getting enough sleep. So mm -hmm. um, just be encouraged that what you're doing is the best thing. I have a notepad that is my to-do list. And at the top, it says, number one on my to-do list is to relate well with God. And number two is everything else. Mm -hmm. So like whatever else God allows or affords in our lives and, um, does recalibrating just happen to people or is it something we need to go after? I think that's one theme in our book is intentionality. And I think we do need to be intentional. I don't think it just happens to us. Although, like I said earlier, I think it sometimes it is forced on us. Um, I think that some of us are tend to be a little more introspective or contemplative about our lives. So we might take time out on a regular basis to assess ourselves. And so maybe those people, this book is still going to connect with them, but I think the book really is especially for people who who wouldn't normally do that. And maybe they need some additional tools, some creative ways. How can I sort of recalibrate my life? Um, and how can I assess where I am without um, necessarily just feeling like I have to sit down with a blank journal or something like that? Because that can be intimidating for some people. Um, but I do think we have to be intentional about it. I think that otherwise it is too easy to just get swept up in the inertia of the everyday routine, um, the important over or the, or the urgent over the important. Um, so I, I think it can be an enjoyable process. I don't think it has to be something you sit down and say, Oh, I got to recalibrate and I got to assess my life. <laughs> I think it can be really enjoyable to look back, um, and, and think, you know, think about how has God been faithful to you in the past? Mm. Um, it can be a conversation <laughs> with him. It doesn't have to be something where you have this formal document or whatever, although we encourage, certain ways of, you know, recording and note taking, just because I think when you do take some notes or whatever, then you can go back to that later and, mm -hmm. and look at, you know, what was it that I, um, I thought about then and what do I need to remember now? But, um, it, it doesn't have to be a burdensome thing either. So, well, I just know, and I don't know whether it's my age or what, but I do forget how God's been faithful. And, uh, I just noticed I'm in, I'm on my very last page of what was a blank journal. And now it's, it's been filled up with every day what I'm thankful for, what God did the day before. So mm -hmm. that was an idea from a friend of mine, Chris, uh, Gretchen Fleming, rather than writing down everything you're grateful for the last 40 years to just do it the day before, because that's all I have time for and all I can remember. But I, I did write an extra page in the back of major things that happened in this year. And I, it was such a blessing to me mm -hmm. and an encouragement. Oh, yeah, because we do forget. So for us to take that time to mm -hmm. say, wow, God did this. I messed up here. He made up for it there. And then to sit in our present. Uh, I think some people who are in their present are depressed because they're feeling stuck. What would mm -hmm. you do to, what would you say to encourage them? 
Well, I went through about 11 years of infertility and I know I was not necessarily clinically depressed, but I had a lot of uh, down days and a lot of sitting in the valley and feeling a sense of sort of grief in my life um, as a repeated theme. And, you know, you can sit there and you can just sit in the mud and and wallow, or you can cry out to God in the midst of that. Um, I actually recently read a book by Alan Noble called On Getting Out of Bed. I don't know if you've uh, heard heard of that one, but sometimes the best thing we can do is put one foot in front of the other and just do the next thing. And that's kind of what he talks about. Um, But I think we we kind of think that life is going to be this sort of like ever increasing, you know, wonderful fruitfulness as a Christian. But a lot of the times it's not. A lot of it times, you know, we're in the valley and we don't necessarily feel God's presence or his faithfulness constantly. Um, right. I was a strong believer going in, at least I thought I was going into infertility, but it sent me into a place of just questioning things and wondering where is God in this? Yeah. You know, he says he's going to answer prayer. Why is he not answering? Um, kids are a good thing. Why is he not giving me this blessing? And it was just a constant wrestling with, I really wasn't getting answers necessarily either, but I now look back on my journals and I see how, you know, I was, I felt stuck. And yet I had these constant bright spots of people encouraging me, God being faithful. And then of course later, you know, God did provide children, but I think my testimony is not even that he finally provided children. It was that in that place of the Valley, that's where he met me. And that is where I was, I felt my need for him the most and I didn't have all the answers and I didn't understand everything or why it was happening. Um, so I think recalibrating, you know, it can be something you do kind of over, over a longer course of time. I think I did that when I was in the midst of that, um, trial, even though I didn't necessarily call it that at the time, but I was constantly trying to figure out, you know, where have I been, where am I going? And, and if, if I'm not going to have children, you know, what does that mean? My life looks at, or it looks like sure. it, does it still count? Does it matter? Yes, it right. does, but it doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes if your plan is not working out the way you think it's going to work out. So, yeah. What was that famous line about life is what happens when uh, you're figuring out your plans, but or something like that. I can't, I'm yeah. going to mess that up, but uh, yeah, we, we have a certain expectation. And also, I think a sense of entitlement in some ways. You know, we're following God. We're being good girls. Uh, mm-hmm. We memorized scripture. We were good in Awana. We um, we went to a Christian college or whatever. We were obedient mm-hmm. for the most part. And so we cry out to God and his timing is different and his plan is different. Yeah. And through that is when we actually get to know him better. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you trade those 11 years to have would a not. baby right away? Absolutely not. I, my relationship with God wouldn't be what it is Mm. without those years. In fact, I actually have this great quote. Um, let's see if I can find it here. Um, so one of my friends was recently diagnosed with, uh, stomach cancer. She, she is younger than I am even, and she's facing a lot of uncertainty. Uh, she sent me this quote from Tim Cole, uh, Tim Keller, um, on his life before and after cancer diagnosis. So this is, I know, a different ball game than infertility, but yeah, you know. It's still suffering. It's suffering. <clears throat> and he wrote this, he wrote, this is going to sound like an exaggeration. My wife and I would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life and spiritual life we had before the cancer, never. Uh, knowing you are really going to die changes the way you look at your time, the way you look at God, the way you look at your spouse, everything just changes when you actually realize time is limited and I'm mortal. 
Um, so that, I mean, for me, infertility, I know that even though I wasn't necessarily facing a, a death sentence or potential death sentence, to me, it was a, a bit of a death because I, I had always dreamed of being a mom. That's all I wanted to be. And so that life that I had always wanted, it had evaporated. And I felt like, well, what is there to live for now? Mm-hmm, sure. um, and I remember specifically feeling, you know, the brevity of life, all of that kind of comes to your mind. But I remember um, one day I was praying and I said, hey, God, I don't know what I should do or how I should live now that I do not have children. Because especially, you know, women, I mean, even in the church, it can be the hardest place because everybody else has them. It's it's just the assumption when you have kids, when you get married and not if. Um, and, and I remember God kind of impressing me uh, on me, the great commandments, you know, you're to love your God, uh, the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. Right. And I thought those are the greatest things I can be doing. That's the right. greatest thing is not to be a mom, even though being a mom can sometimes be a fulfillment of those great commandments. But that's not the context in which I was at the time. And so I thought to myself, if that's not good enough for me, <laughs> then I have a problem. It's my attitude that's the problem. My priorities are the problem. And so I really, I tried to just constantly pray that God would make me content in spite of whatever my circumstances were and that I would really see, you know, loving him and pursuing him as my chief desire and nothing else. I don't, I can't say I did that perfectly or that every day I, I did that from then on out, but it was a daily sort of submitting to him that, that desire. And not only that, it made you more compassionate because every time we, every time we suffer, then we real, we can identify with other people's suffering. It doesn't have to be the same suffering, but right. uh, it make it molds our character and we need a lot of work in molding this character. And suffering is really the fastest way to do it, even though it seems like it's going on forever. And I ne- and I think brother Lawrence is the one who says, you don't pray for, trials they will come and that's a promise mm-hmm. by jesus <laughs> and yeah. they will come. we don't need to pray for them but as they come to do as you say it, it's a really a recalibration of our thought process mm-hmm. that we are gods and gods alone and mm-hmm. that those two greatest commandments are the best thing that we could do each and every day even with yep. small children even when things get to be somewhat uh drudgery what can we do to make sure to uh Make sure we live with an eternal perspective now, not just when we get older, because I know 41 seems old to a 20-year-old, but you're not old. And so we can get so caught up in uh, the day-to-day that we forget that our our life is limited. Yeah, and actually um, a bit of a background on this book. It started out actually that Ken was mentoring a lot of people that were retiring or recently retired. Mm. And this concept of um, recalibrating amidst the transition into retirement was sort of the initial concept that he taught on where this book came out of. Um, When we were talking to University Press about it, they really wanted us to write the book for everybody, not just for people of retiring age, which obviously works because I'm I'm younger. So I have this perspective of being a little bit younger. Um, I I did think that 42 sounded a little bit old, like, you know, Mm -hmm. a few years ago, but now I'm thinking... No, it's still pretty young. <laughs> um, but we we started talking about this book and we thought, you know what? It is for everyone because why do we wait until the end of our lives to get things right? Um, exactly. Now, that's not to say that if you get to the end of your life and you feel like you have lived a life that you regret or that you you know messed up, that God can't redeem that. For sure, he can redeem that. But 
if we have the knowledge and the perspective earlier on why are we not living according to it? And a lot of the times it's just selfishness, um, you know, what's acceptable in the moment, um, just simply getting caught caught up in yeah, the needs I think, of I think many work. is just being caught up because we're so distracted by the mm -hmm. um by the urgent. And yep. that we forget that every day might be our last. We don't want to mm -hmm. be depressed about that. We say, hey, today's a new day. God's in it. And what do you want me to do? It's all, it's really all about perspective, like you're saying. Right. And, and maybe we need to do a little bit of recalibration every morning when we spend time with the Lord or whenever yeah. we're in the van or whatever we're doing. What does it mean that we must calibrate before we recalibrate? I, thought, I found that interesting. Yeah. So, well, obviously, um, one of the analogies and metaphors we use in the book was that of a ship. Um, and just um, when when we're in a ship and day to day, we might get a little bit off course, but you might not notice. And so then these small little veers slowly, they they take you in the wrong to the wrong place. Mm. But you don't notice until later if you keep going. Um, but of course, to begin with, you got to be heading in the right direction. And so you can't come back to a course that you have not been on to begin with. Um, so I think the whole idea there was just that uh, recalibration without Christ and without heading toward the eternal destiny of, of life with him, it's kind of a dead end. It really becomes more of, and I know this is another question you were going <laughs> to touch on, but um, it becomes more of a self-help type of thing. And oh, yeah. it's, it's more about us and what we want to do on earth rather than um, actually conforming our desires and our um our actions to what God wants us to do. Um, and so that's, that's why we say we got to re you got to calibrate first and, and know Christ and know what the target is of, you know, where you're headed before you can really come back to that when we start to veer off and the veering is sometimes actual, it could be sin sinful action, but it's also just that everyday drifting that, you know, you sit and do nothing with your relationship with God and you're going to drift somewhere. You're not necessarily going to stay in the same spot. Um, so your ship, your ship might get kind of off course, even if you don't even realize it. So. Mm. Yeah, that was my next question. How is recalibrating more than a self-help formula? Yeah, it's um. so we do say, and I'm going to quote the book here. We say it's a distinctly <laughs> Christian process that increases our focus and dependence on God. Now, obviously, I mean, I've talked to a few people about the book or a number of people that are not believers. And, and the concept actually resonates with a lot of non-believers as well. Why is but, that? Well, I think everybody has this deeper yearning for their lives to count. Even yes. if they don't know Christ, I think they, right. they don't want to feel like their life is wasted. And so this idea of going back to what's important, what matters resonates. And we all have these crises of sort of mortality and realizing that life is short. Um, and so that's kind of one of the themes of the book. Um, but obviously, I think if, if you are not in Christ and you're not going through the process of recalibrating with God, I think that it becomes more of a self-focused process instead. So, yeah. And um, some of the non-believers I know have are very grace filled towards themselves. Oh, well, I'm not as bad as this other person. So my life must be pretty good instead mm -hmm. of holding it up to the standard of what God says. Um, yeah. So how have you been able to, reach people who don't know the Lord with this theme of recalibration if they don't even believe in heaven. I think just um, touching on that, that brevity of life again, I think none of us knows if we're going to live another day and everybody has at least, even if they themselves haven't faced mortality in a sort of a 
up her, uh, close and personal way. I think everybody has a friend or somebody that they know who mm -hmm. has. So I think when we talk about that and, and sort of that's a heart area that I don't think anybody can kind of um, resist that feeling of like, oh, like I am not here forever. We can put it off and think that it's it's far in the distant future. But, um, you know, especially like a bit, I know people who have younger kids that died or, you know, somebody who's really unexpected things happen. And I think they're grasping for explanations and can your life count when, you know, when your child has only lived for 15 years or whatever. Right. Um, so hmm. I'm not sure that answered your question totally. No. <laughs> well, it's a hard question. And I just think it's something for us to think about because people are looking for something. They just don't know what it is they're looking for. And yeah. so for you to write almost, it, it's not a scientific book, but it is a, a book full of tools that mm -hmm. help people. Uh, I mean, he could do whole seminars on it, or both of you could on um, what, how to make your life matter. And uh, this is why I started the podcast about five years ago in our growth group, one of the gentlemen or our friend was just asking us to pray for his mother because she was beginning to have early signs of dementia. Mm -hmm. And I perked up and I said, because I'd met his mom and I said, how old is she, Dan? And he said, she's uh, 87. And I mm -hmm. suddenly that didn't seem that far away. I was 66. Mm -hmm. I was going to be 67 in four months. And so I started inviting women over that I knew and admired. And I said, so what do you do to live for eternity to make your life count? And I just, and then that turned into the podcast mm -hmm. and I interviewed some of them for it because just regular old people who just love God and love their children and, and live for God. And they live in terms of the eternal perspective because mm -hmm. you just don't know. And so I want to make my last 20 years um, as long as I had some cognitive viability and could spell cognitive viability and know what it meant uh, for the kingdom. And not that I wasn't doing it before, Jenny, I just mm -hmm. wanted to be a little bit even more proactive and mm -hmm. call that to the listeners or anybody I talked to, hey, our lives can count now, not after you, you're dead and someone's reading your will and what you're giving to your children after you're dead. What mm -hmm. are you giving them today and what are you leave, living for today? Um, a question I, I think you already answered, but if you want to say anything more is explain the role of suffering uh, plays in recalibration. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it, it prompts recalibration automatically in uh, almost all of us. Um, and does. I think often, you know, when we're in the midst of some sort of difficulty, we, we often want to do something, we want to fix it, we want to figure out what can I do and recalibrating something we can do. Um, and it's really about, I think, going to God and reflecting on faithfulness, but also what is it that I can control right now and that I can do? And what is it that I need to relinquish to him? Um, and so I, I, I guess it helps give you that big picture thinking again and regain some focus, regain a sense of hope um, of where you're going, because I think suffering can become so overwhelming to the point that it's hard to see hope and it's hard to feel like you're ever going to get out of it. Right. Um, and I think the recalibrating is necessary to remind ourselves and, and it, in some ways, if you really want to recalibrate on that level, I'd say sit down with your Bible and just read, read the Gospels, read Scripture, read the Psalms. Um, that'll help you recalibrate, if nothing else. So, yeah, uh, old Bible professor said uh, the Psalms are in the heart of and the heart of the Bible for the heart of man. And mm -hmm. so when when I'm suffering, that's of course that falls right open 
to the Psalms of Lament, there's a lot of recalibration in scripture, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. What hinders recalibrating? What hinders recalibrating? I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. I think it really is a lot of it is just the day-to-day inertia of getting caught up in routine. Um, I mean, I think also we sometimes want to dig on our heels if we think we're, we're, we, we don't really want to change. Um, obviously pride can get in the way. Um, absolutely hardening yourself, um, to the deceitfulness of sin, um, I think is, is one big thing, but I think, I mean, that's, that's part of recalibrating though, is coming back to the truths of, of God and the fact that he does forgive and he loves, and he wants to redeem your life. Uh, it's never too late. And, um, you can always come back to him. So I think that's, uh, I guess, pride and, and, and also just the everyday obstacles to doing anything. I mean, I think I would say right now <laughs> as a mom, I, I am hindered from recalibrating by the simple lack of time. Right. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't have as much of an ambition to do it on for a long time, you know, regularly as much as I maybe used to, but if I can steal five or 10 minutes late at night or early in the morning, um, just to refocus and recalibrate a little bit, that, that helps me. So. And uh, later on, when your kids are in school, one thing that helped me was not to play music in the van when they weren't there, just so I could think, uh-huh. you know, think through my attitudes with God, pray for myself, pray for others. And it was quick, depending on how much traffic, but uh, it's just a way to recalibrate yourself. What You just take whatever you can. What mm-hmm. does it mean to you to number our days? Oh, wow. Well, that's from Psalm 90, uh, one of my favorite song uh, psalms. And um, I think none of us want to waste our lives, but I think especially um, when we're younger, even, I think that we do tend to think we have this whole big, long life ahead of us and we don't number our days because we think <clears throat> it's I've got so many days. I don't need to worry about that. Um but first of all, obviously, we don't know how many days we have. And secondly, I think we make a mistake when we leave our later part of our lives to kind of get things right or to maybe do the things that require more energy. When you're when you're younger, you have more energy and you have certain um, I mean, I have less energy now than I did 15 years ago and less flexibility than I had. You know, when I was in my early 20s, I feel like I wish I had taken more advantage of my flexibility than to pursue the things that mattered. And um pursue, you know, prioritize people and everything, because once you have a family, you do have to prioritize. You you can't do everything. You can't serve everybody. Um, So I think it's a lot of it is just about remembering that you're not here forever and that you don't know how long you're here. Um, I mean, I think I had a friend in college who passed away um, when I was just entering my senior year of college. So I think for me, that was a natural point at which God really reminded me, like, even though I was in college, you know, it felt like, oh, I have my whole life to live, but your whole life to live might be 20 years or it might be 10 or it might be 30 to 40 or whatever. So making the most, um, you know, Ephesians talks about redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, making the most of our days and not seeing days as sort of throwaway days. Um, Mm. I don't think God makes those. (laughs) So, No, but I also think that some days are just for rest. That'll happen mm-hmm. to you in a few years. And um, and that we don't have to just ch- tick off a bunch of things on a to-do list and get exhausted. Yet to remember that this is the day that the Lord has made and what does he want me to do in it? 
you know, mm -hmm. and maybe it's just to rejoice in him, like the like the verse says. I think some people can be so unhappy about what they haven't received yet from God and from their prayers that that keeps them from recalibrating and living a worthy life or numbering our days, as the psalmist said, because yeah. we wish we keep wishing we were somewhere else. I remember when we two girlfriends and I went to um, Europe with backpacks for 10 weeks, which was about two weeks too long in my mid twenties. And I, I spent a lot of time wishing I were somewhere else and not, mm -hmm. a, not enjoying the Alps or wherever we were looking at one more time. Yeah. Um, and I thought, this is so dumb. I hope I learned my lesson through that, that I could yeah. live in the present. And that is part of our recalibration is to have that kind of a perspective. I think, when mm -hmm. do we know it? When do we know it's time to make a change in our work? And is it ever too late? So yeah, one of our chapters in the book is about moving from career to calling. And um, we have a tool in there that uh, is really helpful if you're, I think a lot of people these days, we live in these grunt jobs, you know, we might have make a good salary or whatever, but we might just sit there at a desk all day and we're just bored out of our minds. Um, and we, we feel like we want more out of our careers or whatever. So how do you know, you know, should you stick it out? Should you persevere? Or should you pull out of your job? Um Obviously, you have to pay the bills. I don't think God calls us to, you know, just ignore the provision that we need to provide. But um, we have a tool that talks about finding the sort of the best possible overlap between what you enjoy doing and really are passionate about and what you're good at doing. And then also what you need to do in order to pay the bills. So that sort of the middle of that diagram. I mean, obviously, it, there might be more overlap at certain points in your life. Um, sometimes when we're younger, we have to take a job that we don't like very much sure, or whatever. Sure, of course. But um, I think just a value using that tool would help. Um, there's toxic workplaces and bosses everywhere these mm -hmm. days. And you know what, it's, I think re remembering relationships and people are the center of life, really. And so the work itself is sometimes going to be rewarding, but a lot of the times, even the best, most enjoyable work is going to become burdensome, or you're going to have obstacles or people that you don't enjoy working with or whatever. And so I think just really asking God, you know, what is his purpose in your work and why are you working? Are you working for him, you know, indirectly, or are you working to please yourself, to please your boss? Um, sort of where we have, we have questions. We encourage people to ask in the book um, to kind of try to cut through that. So Hard and struggle are not bad. I think we sometimes think that work has to be easy and, you know, doing the thing that we love to do all the time. That's not always going to be the case. Um, maybe we find, you know, something that we do on the sideline that is, you know, the thing we enjoy most. And then we maybe do have to do more of a grunt job to pay the bills. So we're not necessarily saying that everybody's going to find that perfect overlap, but um, we definitely encourage people to do that. There's actually a couple of tools in the book to, to help people in that area. If you're particularly struggling and want to move from the mindset of, I just got to get through this job to pay the bills to, you know, God has ordained work and it's not bad. And yeah. there's more to our work than, than just paying the bills. So, um, what is the biblical view of retirement? Well, that's a, so that's a big question. Um, and that's sort of, again, uh, that topic kind of started the impetus behind this book. Um, so there's obviously different views. There's a popular, you know, view nowadays, I think, among a lot of the um, Christians that you should never retire. You should always keep working. Um, I think by never retire, what, what we mean is um, in our book, we talk about 
um, moving from career to calling. So your career might end and you might retire from your day job. But the calling that God has on your life and your purpose never ends. There's no expiration on um, expiration date on ministry and spreading the gospel. Um, the only place in the Bible that really gives any grounds for this sort of idea of actually retiring and stepping back out of service is um, in the book of Numbers. The Levites, um, they had special duties in the temple, and they were told that at age 50, they were to withdraw from the duty of service and um but they were to keep ministering to their brothers. So that's interesting. Um, that is interesting. They did have a lesser role. They were stepping back, but they were mentors now and they were still mentor, uh, ministering. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there is a necessary scaling back. And I think, I mean, I'm not there yet, but some people, you know, they're, they're out of energy or they have something that's medically makes them have to really step back even more. Um, but there, there are things that we can do even when we are diminished physically. Um, and so we kind of talk about just ways that you can continue, um, pursuing God's purpose, but maybe in a different context, maybe whatever skill you had during when you were, you had your career, you now use it in a different context, um, while you're retired. So mm -hmm. retired, um, I put in quotes. <laughs> yes. One of my mentors, she's 88 and we call her mama mm -hmm. Mabel. And she used to do what I'm doing now, which is speaking at events and writing. And so mm -hmm. she'll say, oh, Sue, I remember doing that. It was so much fun. But how are you doing? And she just texted me this last weekend because I said, I have a sore throat. I'm not sure how I'm going to speak four times. And she was like all worried for me and praying. And to me, that is her calling, not uh -huh. just to pray for me. She has a huge list. Yeah. But, uh, but I thought she has such a vibrant life and we got to see her recently. My husband's a physician and he works with 88 year olds all the time. And he told me later, he goes, she is the most vibrant 88 year old. I know uh -huh. she's, she is pursuing Christ in every ounce of whatever she has left. And mm -hmm. uh, it's such a blessing to see and an inspiration. I think as, we, as you get older, even as I get older, 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 that, that we are that model to the younger is that, hey, we're still living a very full life of ministry. It just mm -hmm. looks different than how it looked 10 years ago for all sorts yeah. of reasons, like you say, medically or whatever. Well, you know, my podcast is on legacy. So what legacy do you want to make sure that you leave uh, for those who know and love you? So that when I started thinking about that question, it was it was hard to really pinpoint a single answer, except to say that I want to inspire other people to know and love and hope in God. Um, I, I am very passionate about knowing and standing on the truth. I'm also passionate about helping others see God and his love for them. Um, I'm especially a lover of nature, hmm. beauty, sunsets. I take photos a lot. Um, and I just love to revel in sort of the beauty that God has given us, um, on earth. So that may not have been a super succinct answer, but. <laughs> oh, no, I have all kinds of answers. Let me tell you, I've been doing this five years. Uh, and how are you doing this now? Making sure that people know and love God and his truth. Well, my two toddlers or, or my four-year-old and two-year-old are probably the, the two people I'm trying to instill this in right now the most. Um, but I also, I, I direct an apologetics conference at my church that's for young people, um, and I try to just minister to people who are hurting, um, my years of infertility. I really, I think I have a, I have a bit of a soft spot for looking for the people who are hurting or overlooked or, um, 
you know, don't sense uh, God's presence and just trying to encourage them, Hmm. have good conversations, elevate conversations from the trivial to something that matters. So I just interviewed Whitney Aiken and she wrote a book called Overlooked because she felt so, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's a real tender spot. Mm-hmm. When people, everybody else seems to be doing all right. Everybody else seems to have the friends they need. Uh, and you can stand in a crowded room and feel very overlooked. So that is a beautiful thing mm-hmm. that God has uh, created in you and maybe would not have been without the suffering that you did endure. Yeah. Um, how do you embody the welcoming heart of God? I'm not sure I always do, honestly. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of a cut and dry person and I don't like that. And I want to be more... <laughs> empathetic and compassionate and gentle and all of that. Um, but I do, um, I actually love your, your mention in your podcast about changing the world. I think it's one coffee at a time or something like that. I love to sit down with people and have coffee There we go. <laughs> or have tea or offer, open up my home. Um, but, um, just calling people to, yeah, gaze on God's beauty that he's given us. And, um, I do make some some good uh, comfort food too. <laughs> oh, send me a so. recipe. As long as it's simple, I only just simple. Calling people to gaze on God's beauty—that's through your photography, but I think it's also through your story. And um, because people don't want to hear just only about how beautiful God is if they're hurting, mm-hmm. they want to see how God was beautiful to you in your suffering. So praise mm-hmm. the Lord for that, Jenny. You've been delightful, and I know this book is going to be such a help to so many, especially as the new year is here. And I praise the Lord for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.